0: Welcome to the Emerging Minds Families Podcast. Hi, I'm Alicia Ranford. And I'm Nadia Rossi. Welcome to the Emerging Minds Families Podcast. As your hosts each fortnight, we look forward to sharing with you conversations with people from all over Australia. Our guests will generously share with us their experiences and knowledge and the strengths and skills they've developed while navigating the ups and downs of parenting and the trickier times that life can sometimes throw at us. You'll also hear from professionals who offer practical strategies to help you support the mental health and well-being of the children and young people in your family. As a mother of two myself, I know how helpful it can be to learn ways to navigate the more challenging parenting moments, and I'm looking forward to sharing these with you over the coming months. Like Alicia, I'm also a mum of two, and I so look forward to being on this journey with you. Today, we are excited to present to you the first of our family's podcast series, which looks at how to parent when you weren't parented well yourself. As we know, we all become parents without any formal training, and it's one of the things that makes parenting so hard. We don't automatically have great parenting skills just because we have a baby. There's no manual. And for those of us with more than one child, we know that each of our children is certainly unique and arrives into this world with their own strengths and temperament. One of the main ways we discover how to raise our kids is by modelling and learning from our own parents, working this into our own style and routines. Many of you listening today might have had parents who were able to provide a safe and secure upbringing for you. Sadly for many, it's a very different story. Joining us today is Flick. She's a mother of four and we're going to talk about how you learn to parent when you weren't parented well yourself. Welcome Flick. Thank you for spending this time with us today. It's okay. Thanks for having me. Flick, can you start by telling us a bit about your own childhood and what it was like growing up in your household? Yeah, I guess what it was like, I guess the first scenario would be like my mum was in care
1: when she was six weeks old and met her birth family at 21. So she didn't have the best role models and I guess brings that into my family. So my mum didn't raise us in the most appropriate ways, like she'd done what she could. But our household was full of forever moving homes, moving schools, domestic violence, drug and alcohol, and a lot of my brother raising me and my sister. So there wasn't too much guidance and my mum was in and out a lot. No, but I guess for me, I just
0: become normal and I thought I just lived in a normal household, I guess. Yeah, and and did you see your friends having different experiences or did you really not think about it and just like you said, see your home life as normal?
1: Because I lived most of the time with mum. So when I was with mum, like I just really seen things as normal. But then more when I'd spend a weekend here and there with dad, like when he was allowed to have us, I guess that's when I got to go to friends' houses and see something completely different. You know, stuff like the stamp table and eating. All together, having your own bedroom with your own things and that stuff. I started thinking like, like not thinking, I guess, kind of feeling I wish I had that. But then that moment would go back once I was back with mum.
0: So then if we move forward from from that time to when you had your first child, what was that like for you as a new mum?
1: Yeah, so like I remember it clear as day. When I was about 12 years old, I went to a program off the streets ran by father Chris Riley and I lived there for a couple of years and when I got home I just turned 16 and got back into a relationship with this man that I met at 10 and I fell pregnant I remember when I found out I was pregnant I rang my caseworker from my old program going what am I meant to do like and I remember her advice to me was just do everything different before mum done, like do the total opposite and you'll be okay. And like, I was just really scared, you know, 17 years old, having a baby. I was just really scared, didn't know what to do. And plus there was a DB involved as well. And to remember like giving birth and a nurse had handed me a DB card a couple of hours later and I didn't even know like what she was giving me because she I had a couple of seconds while my partner was at the room and I just threw it away and didn't even know and then I didn't even know how to change my tile, how like I couldn't breastfeed because I didn't understand struggling just to bottle feed, like I just didn't know what I was doing. But in the back of my mind, all I knew I just had to do things different to my
0: mum. I guess thinking about what that caseworker said to you in that moment of just do everything different. It's easy to say that, but knowing what that different is must have been quite difficult.
1: Oh, definitely. At first I thought, oh, I'm quite intelligent, like I've got this, I've just got to do it different. But I guess that lead up from 17 with my first child to 23 with my third child, I just thought I was doing everything different, but it turned out I was doing everything the same without even knowing the ingrained behaviour.
0: How would you describe your parenting style in those early years? I guess I'd describe it as my mum doing
1: the best I can. So I had an alcoholic mother and I had a father that was passing from emphysema, leaving a DV relationship. And I just thought simple things like feeding my children, bathing them and sending them to school was all that was needed. And I thought if I tick them boxes, like I'm this great mum, obviously now looking back, a child needs more than that. My children were neglected in certain areas. And, and I say that as in it was so ingrained in me, I thought I was doing the right thing. I didn't even know I was neglecting my children.
0: Well, it must have been a very difficult time for you. Did you feel alone or did you feel like you had supports that you could go to to ask for help?
1: Uh, Like, look, definitely alone. I didn't have a constant GP. I didn't have a therapist. Social supports. My supports were just other alcoholics and drug addicts, I guess, living a very unhealthy lifestyle the way I was, and they had no better, better knowledge than me. So there was
0: no actual great support. As you moved on to have more children, did your experience change or did it remain the same for your latter children?
1: It was the same for my first and second child because I was still with the same partner. I guess after my second child though, I grew some confidence and realised that living in this DV relationship wasn't healthy. Even though we had the nicest home and the expensive furniture and bills paid, it just—I just I just to with this is not okay and so I left to live with my father that was passing so I just went on to have my third child so that was a little bit different because I was doing that in my father's home and he was supporting me in a more loving way helping me feed the children if they didn't want to eat the vegetables pop would take over and have that done and I just like I felt like the world wasn't on top of me then it was a little bit easier but I guess the easier it become. And the more help I got, I drank a lot more. So it still was this unhealthy way of parenting. So my son, my last child now is eight this month. So I guess fast forward to him being my last child. Things were a lot different. I was clean and sober. I was reaching out to parenting groups, support services, therapists. So as much as things were changed, and I was able to get up for them feeds, and I wanted to interact and wanted to teach my son stuff and take him for walks. It slowly changed. My son has autism, so that was a whole new ball game learning how to parent an autistic child. So. I think it wasn't until then like starting to do therapy around that stuff did I realise that my parenting with my other three children needs to change again like there's still healthier ways to do things but I do believe from all the knowledge I've got from them support services and rehabs and all that parenting today is a lot easier and I can't really put my finger on where my children are being neglected in any areas it's all getting covered and I understand that and I don't have a sense of detachment anymore. I'm now attached and present. I've learned some skills, but I guess too in the long run, parenting, there is no book and it's about learning as we go, but I'm more confident to continue parenting and learning.
0: That's fantastic, Flick, and showing a lot of resilience to get to that point. It's a real credit to you. Do you think that there was a turning point when you did think to yourself things have to change for you and your children?
1: Yeah, definitely. So... I was about 23 years old I had three children and at this stage my dad's in hospital and terminally ill and my mum's babysitting my 11 month old child and then I had my daughters with me five and six and child protection come and remove my baby from my mum and I was horrified like I just didn't understand what's going on I thought I was this perfect mum and doing everything right you know and I got to be out the school with my daughters and and the principal gave me some time and the turning point was my children crying saying if we be good can we come home and my heart just broke going you know this has nothing to do with them as in their behavior like this is me and yeah and I can see that clear as the day 11 years ago now and it was that moment I was just like something's got to change and it did within a month I was in detox and then I was into rehab and just started looking at self-help Program because I believe I can do all these parenting programs and it can teach me some skills, but until I work on self, they're not going to match up. So I had to do a lot of self help stuff. I just realized that I wanted to be a parent and I just worked out I just didn't know how to be. It's been 11 years of changing and growing and trying different tactics. And I guess the biggest thing was I was scared to ask for help from somebody. I thought if anyone knew how I was feeling and coping, my kids would just get taken. So it was a point going now, well, they are taken because you didn't ask for help. You need to learn to reach out and reach out to the appropriate people. And I guess that's what I do today. So it's all about asking for help now and saying, like, it's okay, I don't know how to do this stuff, but can you help me? And we and we get a buy.
0: Absolutely. And so what would you say the biggest changes you made to your parenting style were? And you Reflected a little bit on where you went to support, but where did you learn the kind of parent that you now wanted to be?
1: A lot of this stuff is just from other parents. I go to a lot of 12 step programs, stay sober, and watching parents change their life and interact with their children. My own organization that I work in, helping other parents and seeing how they actually are with children. I remember I reached out to a friend one day and I said, Oh, I don't know what's wrong with me about when I tuck my son into bed I don't ever tuck him in and say I love you like I'm disconnected and remember she just said to me Felicity just every night tuck him in and say I love you until it becomes natural so just having friends around to guide me in that kind of way and really putting it out there and feeling a bit embarrassed and feeling a bit shameful that I don't know this but being open to learn this from them and my motto is it's the best to learn from someone else that's been through it or is going through it so yeah, just watching other people interact and what they've had to do and just taking pieces that I think might work for my family or try it out. If it works, it works. If it don't, we'll try something new.
0: How powerful are those small moments of just tucking your child in to bed and telling them you love them? It's really special. Definitely. And that's
1: what I had to learn. It's not it's not necessarily at the start about
0: all the big things to
1: change. It's just even them little things, like when my children were in child protection and I got a visit for two hours, it was about how did I spend that two hours instead of just saying, hey, how's day, how was school, I was really getting in there and asking how was school and then when they answer, well, how were you feeling about that and really just diving into their moments. So it wasn't just watching the children kick the soccer ball, it was actually getting in there and kicking the soccer ball with them. So I had a bit of growth through that stuff and my supervisor supporting and teaching me this stuff while I was actually interacting with the children we just find what works.
0: I hear what you're saying that it's it can be a learned skill it doesn't have to be something that you inherently know you can learn to be a good parent.
1: It is all learning because you don't just give birth and know what you're doing nobody can say I just gave birth and I knew exactly what to do like You
0: might have known some things how to change diaper and stuff like that. Cross your fingers and hope you're doing the hope for the best. (laughs) Flick, you've mentioned when we've spoken previously that one of your sons doesn't live with you but that you've worked really hard to parent him from a distance. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so
1: when I said that my 11-month-old was taken... He remained in care, so I guess for 11 years I just fought this system that I want my child to fulfil my emotional needs. And last year, guardianship went through and I became okay with it because what happened was I went on a visit to see my son and he he told me this is what he wanted. He wanted to remain with his stepmother or foster mother and, and I heard him for the first time ever and I think this is the most precious part about parenting. Is actually hearing your children and taking yourself out of it. And I heard him this day and I got in the car and with my supervisor and I said, oh, what have I been doing for 11 years? Putting something that I want and I haven't heard this little boy. And what I worked out was I don't get taken out of the picture just because I'm not a full-time parent and that the father or, in this case, the foster carer, can actually parent him pretty great actually. So what I realize is how, how do we still have our time and make the most of that stuff, though. So- not too long ago, we got to be together on the water and go paddle boarding together and spend that time asking how he's going. And I remember he said to me, If I fall out of here, Mum, will you save me? And I'm like, Yeah, definitely. I'll be in that water straight away. So there are moments that I know that I've been able to build up this trust with him, that he feels safe. And and that's what it's about. It's not about having to sleep in under my roof. It would be beautiful going get get Rayong, all the kids together, but how do we make the most of this stuff when we're living separate? And, and it is, it's trying to have phone calls, letters. We've got social media now. We can have texts in private message and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. I've been able to sit down with him and do his family tree at the park with him and let him know who his family is and where he's from. And, like, I didn't need to do that from my own home, like, But that's the way I was thinking. I guess that's the stigma on parents, especially women, that we have to be the primary carer and and then that's not the case. There's other ways to do this stuff and, and everyone can remain
0: happy. And also that family can mean different things. We don't have to be a nuclear family, do we? Family can be all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Exactly, exactly. I know that you are an advocate for parents navigating through the child protection system and I know you've had conversations before about your life and this journey that you've been on. Can you tell me why you feel it's important to talk about these things?
1: You know, I guess like the biggest part is uh, like you find it let- Look back and if you hear back from what I was saying, there was nobody. I had nothing. I had nobody. Even before the kids were removed, I had no one to say, hey, Flick, what's going on? So that's where I love supporting parents, just to say, hey, are you okay? Like, what's going on here? And just listen. Because, like, I've tried to work out, like, when was I ever heard from a child living in a you pretty hectic family with child abuse and sexual abuse and all that kind of stuff. No one ever heard me. fighting with the department for my children back. Still wasn't heard. It wasn't until actually my own work service go, so we're listening, like we're here, like how can we support you? And I guess that brought, brought me hope. And I think parents just need some hope to continue on in the journey, no matter if it's up or down, you've got a bit of hope and someone to hear us. Things
0: will be okay. You have showed such a lot of resilience through this journey, Flick. And I'm wondering what advice you would give to. Others who perhaps grew up in a similar environment that are either considering becoming parents or are parents already. I think just
1: just don't forget people are there. It's just about finding the right kind of people and just being honest on how you feel. Some days it's hard waking up six times a night to a baby to feed them and that's okay. We're allowed to feel tired. We're allowed to feel down. We're allowed to feel happy and all this stuff is normal but... The longer we keep it to ourselves, we feel like it's not normal. So it's about just expressing that stuff to other people and really reaching out when you're not okay. Like my 16-year-old just said to me the other day, I was in Melbourne because I'm on this journey of flying the country, and she said to me, Mum, I just want to let you know it's okay not to be okay, and it's okay to say you're not okay. And I was just like, oh, bless you, like it just melted my heart. So it's about hanging in there, just one foot in front of the other, reaching out to help and just keep doing your best.
0: And as a mother myself, I think sometimes we try and portray this perfect image of happy clean children we've got a tidy home everything's put together and more often than not that's not the reality of being a mum.
1: Yeah and definitely like my autistic boy he loves to smudge food all over his face before it actually goes in his mouth and only wants to wear certain things and sometimes when he dresses himself it's very interesting and and I had to let go of that stigma myself too. Like, and plus my trauma, if my house isn't clean, I'm, my kid's going to be removed. So, I've, my son's taught me how to let that stuff go because anything may happen when me and him's out and about. No one's home is perfect. And if I'm walking into a perfect home, I'm wondering what's going on. Walking to a home that is lived in, people are happy.
0: Is there anything else that you feel is important in this conversation that we highlight?
1: I guess just more that you know the remembrance that we're all human beings just trying our hardest you know and it's okay to make mistakes. mistake we're still just trying to get through the day as best as we can and part of life is making mistakes it's just that we don't give up once we make the mistake we change that and and move forward but I just think people forget you know a story like mine I, I guess when my kids were new people just thought I just didn't love my children and I neglected them and I like to tell people I didn't wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm going to neglect my children today. Like, that was not the story. My family has three generations of child protection. I have multiple generations of alcoholism. There's a story behind what went on with my children being removed. There's still a story today behind the success I am in life. There's always a story, and if we can just take a moment to ask people, are they okay? and hear their story out, we might have more understanding of the person and how we can actually help.
0: Thank you, Flick, for taking the time to share your story with us today. It has been a fantastic insight into parenting and learning to parent when you haven't been parented well yourself. Thank you. You have been listening to an Emerging Minds Families podcast. If anything spoken about today has been distressing for you or you find yourself struggling, please reach out for help. You can call Lifeline on one three one 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 four, or more resources for support can be found in our show notes. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au forward slash families for a wide range of free information and resources help support child and family mental health. Emerging Minds leads the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health. The centre is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.